Maybe I'm crazy, but the league could use another Dennis Rodman. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Very excited today talking to BJ Armstrong. Of course, he was with the Chicago Bulls when Michael won his first championship and has been featured on The Last Dance as we relive Michael's last year with the Chicago Bulls and that incredible Bulls dynasty. He's got incredible stories and insight into everything that we've all been discussing. So excited to talk to him. And of course, the whole crazy gang is here, Heller, Donnie, and T. So we'll catch up with all of them, talk about the draft, talk about Aaron Rodgers, check out what you guys are watching this week. Um, so, oh, and TSM, TSMT on the Michelle Obama documentary and another documentary you gotta hear about. But let's get started with BJ Armstrong. All right, very excited to have BJ Armstrong on the podcast today. The Bulls are, the Bulls are back. <laughs> they're, they're in the front of everyone's mind uh, these days. So obviously we're all watching the Last Dance documentary, um, which you are you are a part of. Um, what have What have you thought so far about about the documentary? Well, it's been interesting to revisit all of these stories and see something and it's always kind of weird to watch yourself you know i've always always said that you see yourself you know someone's talking about your life and how you things you were participating in and all of a sudden now to see yourself on the screen and people are talking about it and here we are 30 years later it's it's i can't believe that people are still interested in these stories it just seemed like everyday you know occurrence for us but um here we are it's uh it's a unique situation with you know the coronavirus and everything and we're all at home and suddenly this documentary is you know the thing that we're all talking about but uh you know to be quite honest it is kind of weird to see yourself on television (laughs) i don't know why it just kind of freaks me out but it's been great and i think if anyone should tell the story it should be michael because uh, he was without question the leading character and all the things he did and had a marvelous wonderful career and um it it's caught the imagination and attention of the whole world, it seems like. It's pretty remarkable that they have this footage. Well, yeah, I mean, it it appears to be that it's all from one year, um, or at least the majority of it behind the scenes, I think it is said is 98. Right. But to have all of this footage and seeing the young Michael Jordan and seeing how athletic he was and seeing all this footage that they had that you've never seen has been uh has been great uh or if i should say you know the 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 fans have never seen it so it's been interesting to watch and the reactions of all of the young people who've never seen michael jordan play live that to me has been probably the most uh, incredible thing you know i have a son now who's 19 so you know, he's saying, Dad, was he really that good? Oh, I didn't know that. So to see their reaction to me is uh, that's been the funnest part of uh, the documentary thus far. Yeah, so I'm 33, but Michael Jordan was my favorite. All is my favorite all time athlete. Right. And was my idol growing up. Um, I'm five foot two. So I didn't really have a future in basketball, <laughs> but when I was a kid, I thought I did. I mean, I played all through high school and, you know, he was, he was my hero. And so I, I think people would have been, I think people would have been as interested in, in it, the sports world, especially, I think probably uh, more lax fans or people that are, you know, not as, as in depth into basketball wouldn't have been so captivated by it if Corona wasn't going on. But 
I don't know. Michael to me is one of those Michael and particularly the the Chicago Bulls during, you know, your your runs there. It's just I think the most well-known, most captivating, most personality filled, most storyline filled franchise and dynasty that's ever existed in sports. I mean, even like you can argue the Celtics or the Lakers or, you know, Showtime Lakers or Kobe and and Shaq's Lakers or anything that's going on now, even, you know, the Patriots 20 year dynasty, nothing compares right. to me. I don't, I don't think there's any, there's any name that, that drums up the kind of reaction that like Jordan and the Bulls does. Well, you know, the, well, I, I agree with you. And um, the one thing that was very, you know, unusual about when you watch Michael Jordan is he captured your imagination. Right. He played the game in a way that we all said, oh, that's a little different. And he wasn't just a great athlete. He was an incredibly fundamentally sound basketball player who just happened to be this amazing athlete who could do things, run and jump. But he didn't depend on his athleticism. So he would do things, you know, jump and twist in the air and do all of those things. And you would go, wow. But then the purist would also go wild because he would just, he was so good and so fundamentally sound. And I think people admire that. And, um, and the one thing that we all kind of, you know, when you watched them, whether you played with them or you were a fan or a competitor or coach, he really gave you the sense that, oh, this is possible now. He really opened the idea that, you know what, it's, it may be possible that a two guard can actually lead a team to a championship. It may be possible to build a team around a guard because in that time, you know, we, we must all remember that most of the teams or all of the teams were built around the bigs. The bigs were the dominant players. And all of a sudden, here was this guy with long shorts, right, a bald head. And he gave us a he gave he was like the little guy. You know, and, you know, even though he was six six, he wasn't a seven footer. He wasn't some big, you know, burly guy. He was he was the, he was the guard, and people could identify with him. But his creativity and the things that he was doing on the court, his imagination, I think, is what captured us all because he was doing things we had never seen before. Do you think that's what creates the mythology behind Jordan? Because it really is. He's like a mystical unicorn, and watching this this documentary you're reminded he he did struggle making it to the finals he had problems with the pistons he didn't go to an organization that was well run or that was you know turnkey situation like he had to work and struggled and mm -hmm. not just because of him obviously but it was, a, it was a hard hard road to get to that first championship which is you know where we are now in the story on the last dance but he, we don't when we talk about Jordan, we don't really we're talking about the Pistons now, but we don't talk about right. that. It's just like six championships, he's the greatest of all time. Well, I mean, his when you when we talk about our heroes and we talk about you know people that we admire, there has to be something that grounds them that we all can identify with. And the story has been told a million times. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school team. We all can identify with the story. We can all identify with the struggle. And that alone gives us all hope in whatever you're doing, right? You know, rejection, failure, that's a part of life. Right. And 
you can deal with that one of two ways. You can accept it or you can pick yourself up and keep moving and keep it going, you know, and clearly Michael Jordan's mentality, as you see this unfold, was he picked himself up, you know, like most, you're going to cry, you you feel sad. And he cried, he did what he had to do, but then he became more determined. And his determination is what we all can identify with. And I think that is the story. The backstory, even though he's this wonderful basketball player, it wasn't like he was just anointed this great basketball player. We all say, you know what, he worked hard, he had discipline, he dealt with failure. And we're like, yeah, we, that's I, I can identify with that too, right? I don't care you know, who you are, you can identify with those stories because that's life. And uh, so his story is one that has connected us all. And then once he got to the top, you know, with great humility, you know, he, he, he never, he never let off the gas. He just stayed focused. He continued with the same energy. I mean, look, once you get to the top, it's only natural to have a letdown. Well, right. what allowed him to get to the top? And he kept working harder and harder and harder to maintain that level of excellence. So that's something I think we all admired and we've come to respect about him and his personality. Yeah, that's a that's a great perspective. Although I think we also have to be as talented. <laughs> well, <laughs> but the motivational part, yeah. yeah. You have to have the talent, but you know, talent that doesn't work hard just really is just talent, right. right? You have to be able to maximize your ability. And you know, one of the things um, that you know I took great pride in when I when I played alongside him was, you know, you, you knew that the people in the arena were coming to see him and see us play and especially when we were on the road right so the 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 formula was yeah we want michael jordan to have 40 points but we want our home team to to to, to win the game right and the one thing i always took pride in is that he took responsibility not only to play well and above and beyond what you expected and you paid to see he was also just as determined to win the game and everything he did was with that in mind so his one focus to say, yeah, I know these people are coming here. And he understood that. We all understood the business, but he also understood the bottom line, which meant why we all play the game. And we play the game to win. And he took on that responsibility. And that, to me, is what sets him apart from all the rest. You know, he went above and beyond the call of duty, if you will, and making sure that, you know what, I can perform and we're going to have a great time here. But also, I'm going to come here to do what we are came to do and win the game and keep that first and foremost at the at the top of like all of his goals and all of our goals as a team. Well, everyone's very upset with the Pistons right now. Um, <laughs> so it's almost as if we forgot <laughs> what happened, but it is, it's, it's a reminder. Um, you lived it. Um, people are a little upset at Isaiah. He's kind of, he's, he's sort of trying to back off of, off of what happened, but what was the feeling when they walked off the court? And well, well, let's start with that. Like, was it as bad as it looks in the in the documentary? Well, you know, there's always three sides to the story, right? It's my side, it's, you know, it's their side, and then there's the truth. Right. Um, I was I was a young kid at the time. Wait, let me go back. I'm from Detroit, right? I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I grew up a huge Pistons fan. My whole family, you know, doing that series, my family would tell me right to my face, we hope you do well. <laughs> we 
but we're rooting for the Pistons, right? And everyone understands that mentality in Detroit. Like, we're all we're bad boys through and through. So in 1981, I think, I remember when Isaiah Thomas got drafted. I was like, I think in middle school or I was just starting, I was just starting high school uh, when, he, when he got drafted there. So I was a huge Pistons fan through and through. But as I, my career progressed, you know, clearly I had to change and figure out how to be a professional and so forth and so on. So let's speed up to 1990. Um, my only problem with all of it, and I didn't rather have a problem because I was so focused on us. And when the Pistons walked off the court, to be honest with you, I didn't think twice about it. I didn't think twice about it then. I haven't really thought about it since because I understood all of the mental things that was going on in the in the course of the game, right? Back then, you have to, you know, you're a little younger. So back then, the game was played totally different than it was than it is played today. Right. So the mental warfare, if you will, and all the mental games that was being played, that was a part of it, right? So the physicality that you saw, the, the pushing and all those things, that was part of the deal. It wasn't until we were able to understand that mentally and meet that same challenge that we were able to go past or get past the Detroit Pistons. So when they walked off the floor, if you really look at all of our expressions, no one reacted, right? right. No one reacted, right? That our team didn't react. And it was very important that we didn't react because we knew we wanted to make sure that next year, if we saw them, that we had laid the foundation as well, that nothing you could do is going to react. We're going to react to it because we were trying to beat the Pistons. The Pistons, if you recall, if you remember, this was a team who they were back-to-back champions. Right. The previous year, they were one pass away, or I think they lost in the finals in the, the previous year to to Magic Johnson. The, the year before that, I think if, Matt, if if Isaiah, you know, threw the pass that we all have seen a million times when Larry Bird steals it. So this was a team that was they were excellent. They weren't good. They were excellent. They had great players. They had a Hall of Fame coach, and they were as mentally tough as any team that I've ever faced. So if you look at all of our expressions, no one wanted to budge. No one flinched. No one showed any reaction. And that was it, because now we had beat them, and now we it was important for us to make our statement by not reacting at all. And that was it. I, I, I really could care less what was going on. But when you look at it, I get as a, you know, a person on television, I get the under, you know, I get the reaction. You know, it's interesting to talk down to my 19 year old son. He was like, dad, did they really do that? And I was like, because I didn't get a chance to see it on television. I didn't get a chance to see the, 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 the playbacks. You know, it's only years later that I actually looked at it and you see these guys walking off and you see these things. So, you know, it is what it is. We understood it. I was caught up in the moment of the game. And to see it now, you know, it's like, okay, it's 30 years. Everyone's moved on. Look, I'm I'm over 50 now. Like, (laughs) I know those guys. I'm friends with all of those guys. But I want to make this clear. It is a, a great level of respect that we have for those teams. And regardless of what was said, the games in between the lines, those were some of the greatest games I've ever played in. And um, and as I watched it, I, I was really happy that I was 
able to be a part of a, you know, this was a, a true rivalry, if you will, right? These teams matched each other in different ways. We had a great individual players. They had a great team. And the contradiction of how we played with them, but when you really break it down, we were actually the same. Mentally, the toughness that was needed, we had to raise ourselves to them uh, if we were going to reach that level of excellence ourselves. And eventually we found a way to do it. And the organization went on to win six championships in the next eight years. So um, if you ask me, you know what? We learned the lesson we needed to learn. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. So there's been some talk that the year before or yeah i believe it was the year before that the celtics did that whatever it was that they knocked off the celtics um the celtics did that to them so isaiah said on the documentary like that's just a thing like when you dethroned a team like you just the other team just walked off um so i don't know if you remember any of that but that's kind of the argument that's that's sort of defending uh the pistons actions right now well, you know, I wasn't there. And um, but what I do know is that there was a common thread in the NBA, right? And the common thread, if you were going to be champion, is that you had to learn how to play at a championship level. And that involved not just having great physical talent, but mentally you had to have the, the, mis- the mental capacity to accept the challenges of being as tough or tougher than your opponent. So when you look at all of the champions in the 80s, the champions in the 90s, there's a common thread with all of them. And, you know, you look at the the Lakers with Showtime, right? I think they won five championships in the 80s alone. Yeah, they ran and had fast break, but mentally they were as tough as anybody. Magic Johnson, don't get fooled by that smile. Magic was very, very tough, right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those guys. Then you had, you know, the Sixers, Mo Cheeks, Dr. J, all those guys, Moses Malone, so forth and so on. Then you had the Celtics. Come on. Larry Bird. You saw saw the fouls that were happening there with Kurt Rambis. I mean, we've all seen it. You knew what you were getting into. And then the Pistons, they came in. They won, I think, their first one in 89, and they followed it up again in 90. So you knew mentally – that there was a different level that you had to be at if you were going to play at a championship level. Now, whether or not it's dirty or what have you, that that can be debated, right? We all knew what we were doing in those times, and that's the way the game was played, and we had to find a way to be, you know, do what we had to do to figure out how to win games. So um, we we wanted to get what all of those teams had, which was a championship. And we knew we had the physical talent, right? We didn't have one player who could play off the dribble. We had two players. You know, we had Scottie Pippen, who was this emerging, incredible athlete who was figuring out who he was going to be. We had a player that had averaged 36, 37 a night. We knew we had the physical talent. But what was the thing that we needed to ascend to to be called champion? We had to we had to learn the mental toughness. So we had great veterans, Bill Cartwright, John Paxson, you know, Horace suddenly was evolving. The rest of us young guys, myself, Stacey King, and all of us, Cliff Livingston, we all came into the fold and that and we had to figure out how to play like all the champions before us. Now, whether or not they walked off the court, it's just part of the business. That's part of the game. That's part of being a professional. And you know, one of my favorite words when I did play is whatever. I really didn't care because I had to stay focused on my job. And my job was to go out there and perform. And whatever happened, happened. And I had to do what I had to do. But I get 
what it may look like if you see it on television. I mean, I, I understand it. And I took on that responsibility. I took on the responsibility for all of the kids with the sportsmanship I tried to display, right? But look, when you lost the game and when we lost in 1990, that was probably the lowest point of my basketball career. I remember the pain that we all felt in that locker room. So I get it. Uh, but I also understood that I looked up as a young kid to all of those players that I saw on television too. So I was just always aware of my responsibility and the power of the television or the power of the media. And I try to always display that as well, even though I, you know, I get, you know, the ups and downs of being a professional athlete. To be clear, I love it. I don't, I don't mind it at all. (laughs) I, I, uh, I don't, I mean, sportsmanship is obviously very important, but I think that uh, the concept of sportsmanship can be applied in a very flexible manner. You know, that's a very subjective term, sportsmanship. Um, And you have to apply it to different eras. Like if the team did that today, people would collectively lose their minds. But, you know, maybe it wasn't such a a visceral reaction then. Yeah, but I'll say this, like, I, I love the competitive spirit. Like, I love competition. That's that's what I do. Like I love to compete. Like I I I, I mean at one point that's all I wanted to do. But then there is a respect for the game that you have. Right. And that is the one thing that I think is important if, if there's a lesson to be learned here. Yes, compete, play, me versus you. That's what makes that's why we all love sports, right? That you know, we root for our teams, we root for our favorite players, we root for whatever it is you do. But then when the game is over, there is a respect. And in particular with the NBA, there is a brotherhood that you have because you respect the game. You respect the game and you try to take stewardship of the game and leave it better for the next generation, for younger players to understand, you know what? We wanted to bring this game so that when we leave the game, you guys will be able to experience the same thing. I love the the game itself. Like, if I could go back in time, I would love to revisit those moments. But there was a respect that we had. And that's the one thing I don't want people to lose is that, yeah, you can you can do all those things. But at the same time, to know that, you know what, this is a game. After the game, it's over. You shake hands and you move on. Right. So this week kind of featured Dennis Rodman, who... Uh... As, as of the past couple of years, his reputation has, has had some, some interesting ebb and flows. But we're back to his playing days and just, you know, what a dominant rebounder and, and physical player he was. Really what a good player Dennis Robin was. Um, but watching it, you know, I'm, I'm in the media, so I'm a nerd. You know, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, I just, we're all nerds. Like, we we are paid to talk and give our opinion about sports. Um, and right. most of us have never played at that level. Um, but I've always respected Dennis Rodman. Um, I, feel, I feel like he didn't get enough credit for how important he was to Bulls franchise and really to NBA history. Because he's a very unique character and personality. That he is. <laughs> I don't think in any capacity... Um, whether Dennis, you know, maybe played into his, you know, bad boy personality more than he really was that or, or whatever was going on with him, he, he existed in that space and he was very controversial. That was then. I don't think he could ever be accepted in the league in the way that the media covers the league, the social media reactions, 
um, just and just kind of like the PC nature, which I'm okay with because it's it's brought forth a great change in the world. Um, but I just don't think a personality like his would be accepted in today's climate. Well, you know that, that that's an interesting take. Uh, I've never really thought about it because when I competed against Dennis for all of those years, the one thing that was undeniable was his understanding of the game of basketball. And I never got sidetracked with the color of his hair and all of the things he was doing off the floor because beneath all of that, Dennis was a Hall of Fame talent. Right. He was a Hall of Fame player. And I firmly believe that Dennis, and I don't believe it, I know he understood exactly what he was doing. I knew he understood the business. And, you know, when you look at the logo, there's a little thing up under the logo that says NBA Entertainment. Dennis was one of the first players to really, you've really got a chance to see the entertainment side of the NBA, right? These NBA players, they were always, they were, you know, they had to eat right. They had to get their proper rest and they worked out in the gym. And these, that, that was the, that was the narrative. Suddenly Dennis comes, he's got hair purple. <laughs> he's got his fingernails painted. I mean, just, just walking out of every game with a Miller yeah. light in his hand. I'm like, uh, getting on a on a bike with a mill, he has he has an open beer in his hand and he's getting on a motorcycle. Like people yeah. would go nuts. Nuts. Yeah. I mean, one of the things one of my my clients asked me, they was like, "Hey, wh why does Michael Jordan always wear a suit?" And I thought that was so odd to me because players today don't wear suits, right? But they could identify with Dennis with the way Dennis is dressing because now that's fashion <laughs> right? <laughs> right right okay so dennis was much farther ahead than most because he was in to the entertainment aspect but the one thing that we all respected about dennis is when dennis played in between those lines he was all about his business that's one thing that you can't take away from dennis robin all of the other things hey we got it but dennis was a player, he was always an excellent teammate, and he played the game at a very high level intellectually. He really understood how to, how to play. He understood where the offense, the defense, the schemes, the rotations, how to guard people. He understood, and he was able to play the game at a very high level. So uh, I just never got distracted by all the other stuff. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to, to talk about what he was doing and, and how he was doing. You know, look, I get it. That gives the media, I would, if I was in the media, I would love to cover Dennis because it would make my job so easy. Yes. <laughs> All I would have to do is hold up the microphone and say, <laughs> turn the camera on. Look, you can't believe it. And, but also what you couldn't believe is that when it's all said and done, Dennis Rodman has five championships and that's not by accident. And that's what we all respected as players because you know how hard it is to win one, let alone five. Right. So last week, the uh, the object of everyone's uh, I won't I won't say affection but attention was Jerry Krause, and obviously he's no longer with us to defend himself. But um, I mean, my opinion of Jerry Krause didn't change much. I just felt like I think you can be two things at once, right? Like you can be an architect of something great, and you can also be the destroyer of something great. It, it, they don't have to be separate. And I think that Jerry Krause played a major role in both of those things. And he deserves credit and blame for both of them. But you, you 
obviously know Jerry Krause well, knew Jerry Krause well. Was it a fair, was it a fair depiction of him? Well, you know, I, I've lived most of my adult life in the public eye. You know, I don't know if there's such thing as being fair or unfair. Well, uh, well, is it, is it, is it accurate? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't really believe in fair either. What I mean by yes. fair is it, was it accurate? Was it accurate? Um, I will say this about Jerry. First, I'm going to say the facts. In an eight-year period, Jerry Krause, with the exception of Michael Jordan, right? He didn't draft Michael Jordan. Jerry Krause was responsible for every player and coach that participated in six championships in eight years. And then in those two years that we didn't win those championships, or the organization didn't win, Michael Jordan wasn't there. That's that's the fact, right? <laughs> now, I don't know what's good and what's bad, but I know there haven't been many organizations that have had one three-peat, let alone two three-peats, with it, really, to be honest, it was two entirely different teams. There's only two players that was on both of those three-peats. Right. Whether it was fair or unfair, let's just call it what it was. He hired Phil Jackson. He drafted Scottie Pippen. He drafted B.J. Armstrong. He traded for Dennis Rodman. He traded for Bill Cartwright. With the exception of Michael Jordan, he was responsible. So it is what it is. Now, I will say this. Was Jerry great in front of the media and and all of those things, give you great sound bites? No. You know, that wasn't who that wasn't his personality. But all of us that was there at that time, no one could say this. And I'll say it here. You cannot deny that Jerry wanted to win just as much as any other player or any other person in that entire organization. Um, say what you want to about him. Some may be correct, some may be incorrect. No one could deny his intentions. No one ever said, or no one can say, and I, and I worked with Jerry, that he didn't want to win. Now you can argue maybe some of his tactics, maybe some of the things that were said, some of his true, maybe untrue, I'm not, hey, you know, it's all fair. You're in, you're in the public eye. But no one can deny the facts, what was accomplished from 1991, you know, to 1998 or whatever, that, that eight-year window. No one can deny it. And he was at, he was there. It was, all of this happened on his clock. And, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and that's the one thing that I wanted to always take pride in. And I think that's what allowed everyone that was in that locker room. Yeah, you, you, you realize quickly in the NBA or any job that you have, you don't have to like the people that you're with, but you have a responsibility to be a professional. You have a responsibility. So the professionalism of all was at an all-time high. And that, I think that's what you're seeing. That's what makes me laugh because we function in chaos. We were better. The more things that was going on, as crazy as this sounds, we were actually better. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we thrive. That's what we did. And, you know, it is what it is. And like I said, I, I, I have to give the man his respect that he did it. It happened. No one can deny that. And uh, he's not here. So, you know what? Hey, I'm just going to give him his respect and give all the people that respect because we all were there. We all played our part. We did our job. And, and uh, here we are 30 years still talking about it because there's a lot to talk about. But for us that was there, 
hey, that's that was that was the only life that we knew. And uh, we all performed when it was time to perform. Yeah, I think it's it's um, it's very difficult, I think, to examine dynasties and remove situations from them. It's like when you meet someone and you, and you like them and then they tell them something, tell you something about themselves that you don't like. It's like, well, you know, if I hadn't done that or been a part of that, I wouldn't be the person that you like today. Everything is a cause and effect of your experiences. So can you remove Jerry Krause and insert another maybe great executive and then all of a sudden the Bulls have 10 championships? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe Michael needed to hate <laughs> Jerry Krause yeah. in order to make all of that work. Right. Like you said, like you function in chaos, you get inspired by different things. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, uh, but that's the risk you take, right? When you allow ego to get involved in things, because how history remembers you when it comes to those things can may not be might not be that yeah. favorable. Yeah, well, one of the things I think I want to point out here is, you know, it was I think it was an episode one or two I can't remember that Michael Jordan's dad said, following up, I'm paraphrasing here, if you want to get the best out of my son, just tell him he can't do something. So you know. Everyone loves to talk about and, and 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 what they could do or what this team was going to do or what have you. But the dedication and the work and all of those things to win is beyond. It's beyond my wildest imagination, right? You, you, I, as a kid, I would remember I would watch it and I'd always ask myself, like, why does everyone cry when they win a championship? Well, when you finally get to that point, you will realize. <laughs> that it's not all games, right? <laughs> the fact that you said this team could win 10 championships, I'm going, there's just no way <laughs> that anyone can win 10 championships because your body can't take that, right? right. But it sounds great. It's, and I get it, right? You know, when you start playing, I just take this as an example. When you start p playing 20 to 20 something games a year, just in the playoffs, in a condensed amount of time at a higher level, because the playoffs are played at a higher level, that takes a toll on your body. So next year, when you go to All-Star Weekend, start looking at how these guys are moving around. Start looking at Kevin McHale and all of these guys. They're all limping for a reason. It just pounds your body, right? Your body can only do so much. And you look at Michael Jordan in 1986. He was flying around, dunking and jumping. You look at him in 91, 92, 93, he's still flying around jumping. 96, 97, 98, he's shooting fadeaways. So the the, the genius of Michael Jordan, the, the true genius, and I don't know if they expanded on it or not, is the player that he was in 91, 92, 93, he could just overwhelm you with his pure, raw athleticism. The player you saw at 96, 97, 98, he was a totally different player. He got the same and achieved the same results. But the genius part of it, he was able to do it in a way that was totally different. So when you see a player mature and have a second act like that, that's like genius. That's like, that's just not things that you do. You don't just do a 180 and completely, the young Jordan I always, I always tease him when I, when we start talking and, you know, everybody's talking trash. I was like, the young Jordan never shot a fadeaway. The older Jordan, that was his go-to move. So when you start talking about everyone saying, oh, they would have won nine, 10, 
Well, at some point, the body is going to give out, right? When you see Larry, just when you just walk around All Star Weekend, start seeing Larry Bird and Magic. They're walking. Everyone's walking <laughs> gingerly. I let's say that me, <laughs> all of us, because you start playing all of those games, and people forget your body just can't recover. So, um, no, but it sounds great. It's great, great theater. But the truth of it is. I don't know how many times you can go out there in a battle and something, you know, you, you know, something is going to happen. Right? right. And you, you, you don't want to get hurt. You want to keep it going, but you know, the body will let you know when it's over, it's over. Right. Um, I always say dynasties end by uh, ego age or injury. <laughs> so <laughs> one of those things is going to take you down well, eventually. Uh, they will end though. Let's, <laughs> yes, let's agree well, on. Yeah, they every, will end. Everything ends. <laughs> Um, before I let you go, I, I had one, well, lots of takeaways, but one, uh, lingering takeaway I have from watching the, the documentary. And I kind of felt this way when I watch a lot of documentaries about, you know, superstars in the eighties and nineties and, and, and earlier than that as well, that there was really like a specific kind of hero worship that existed before social media and the internet that I think puts these, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and, and Prince and uh, Jordan in these kind of categories of uh, untouchables. And um, I, I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. I guess it depends on the, the individual. But I just don't think that there can be another superstar at the level that Michael Jordan is because the coverage of athletes and stars is just so different and the accessibility to stars feels different. Like you can go and, you know, look up Beyonce and see what she's doing today because she posted on her Instagram story that she's, you know, shopping with her daughter or whatever. LeBron is in the mm -hmm. house doing Taco Tuesday. You just kind of right. feel like you know them and you have access to them whenever you want because of the internet. That didn't exist. I mean, I was watching VHS tapes of Michael Jordan's games and I was, you know, cutting out magazines and sticking them on my wall. Like that was my <laughs> Instagram, right, you know, right, there, right, there, right. there wasn't, there wasn't this access to stars that existed before. You had to be in front of your TV at a specific time. If you had a TV to watch and consume, you know, these stars. So I don't know if there can ever really be a star like uh, Muhammad Ali or Michael Jordan at the level and the the mythology and almost like demigod status that they are. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an excellent observation. And, um, well, you know, when you start looking at culture and you start seeing, you know, our stars, our heroes, right? Um, I remember growing up, you know, Muhammad Ali was a hero. And my dad would talk about him. My grandfather would talk about him and they would share the stories. And it just seems like he was this mythical figure that I just couldn't imagine. And if I saw him on television, it was like, wow, you know, um, at that time, you know, as media and all of those things come about and we get new, you know, new platforms. Right. Um, I think that has a lot to, you know, a lot to do with it. You know, Michael Jordan, benefited from, you know, cable television, probably more than anyone, because now we were able to see his greatness and his highlights every single night. So as a kid growing up, it was a, it was a major treat for me. If my 
mother and father allowed me to stay up past 11 o'clock to watch the sports segment on the news. And all you got was a two or five second highlight of your favorite team. So if I saw Dr. J and they would show the dunk, you would go, oh gosh, that was like incredible. Suddenly there was this, you know, cable television station that was showing full highlights of a game. You didn't, they didn't have the game, but you could maybe see the game in your local market, but then you could see the actual, like a two or three minute highlight. What an idea. So Michael Jordan really was, he was incredible, but he also was a beneficiary because it was just a highlight reel of his entire career, which you hadn't seen before, right? We didn't see Magic. That wasn't available to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird in the 80s or the Pistons or all of those, you know, Dr. J. We didn't see that, but we did see Michael Jordan's highlights on our television because of cable television. So now, cable, you saw his highlights. The whole country, the whole world was able to see his highlights. So that was different. So now there was a connection we had never seen. And by the way, he was going to play in the Olympics. So all the things have to line up for you too. Right. As well. And to give him the credit. He performed when it was time to perform, but everything lined up. Now, we didn't have direct TV. We didn't have all the things that you have like you have today. So I think, you know, he was the beneficiary. It was just enough to where you wanted more. And you really went to your television to find out, you know, who this guy was. And if you you couldn't get enough, right? Remember the Come Fly With Me videos. You couldn't get enough. You couldn't. So now today, speed it up today to 2020, I think the preparation for the athlete is going to have to be different, right? The, the This athlete, this next hero, whomever, is going to have to be a person who's comfortable living their life just like you and I are doing right here. Right. Yeah, and I think LeBron does a good job of that. I just think we are in a time where also, you know, everyone has an opinion. So maybe everyone had an opinion before, but there wasn't an outlet for everyone to share their opinion. And now you have Twitter and now you have Instagram and you have Facebook and you have Snapchat and you have TikTok and you have uh, Zoom and you have everything going on where people can constantly talk about what they think and react in live time to it. So the negatives, it seems like it's more of a negative world, but it's just that there's more opinions now. Yeah, well, I think, you know, look, our heroes, we like to see our heroes start at the beginning. Right. You know, so, you know, watching LeBron now is in year 17 or year, what, 18 or whatever year he's in. But how fun would it have been, just like we watch Michael, we watch Michael's story evolve from the beginning. And then... By the time he was in, you saw him walking in Paris with his own kids. (laughs) Right. So how fun would it have been to see LeBron James starting out on Instagram and doing the things, posting what an 18-year-old would post, and then watch him go all the way through to now where he has a son now who's like 17, 18. Yeah. So, you know, you you have to have the correct timing of all of these things, too, because you want to be able to connect the story and connect it up. We all know the backstory of Jordan. We all saw it play itself out from beginning to the end. Now we have a new median and no one who started, none of our heroes have started from the beginning on these platforms yet. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. We had LeBron at 16, but it was seen, still Sports Illustrated. And, yeah. 
it wasn't quite it, at so the start i think now. it would be interesting to see it unfold in this you know whether it's skype or what however it will come that would be fun to me because you'll see the maturity of this individual and then you'll be like you know what because i remember lebron when he first came in to see him now it's like amazing to me to see the maturity of you know what he's done how he's handled the situation how he's going through this league how he handled it as a high school kid to see him now as an adult schools and all of the wonderful work that he's doing so it's um you know at some point it'll all line up and uh, hopefully you and i'll be around uh, well me i'm old <laughs> you, you'll be around you're to see it for not sure. old um <laughs> thank you so much for coming on with me i really appreciate it i could talk ball with you for the next three hours but um i don't i don't want to uh take up any more of your time but i really appreciate it it was really fun um so so jealous honestly uh, <laughs> of you you've had so many uh incredible basketball experiences but um thank you again i really appreciate it hope you're safe and well and your family's safe and well and uh hope to see you in the studio soon Joy, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And uh, you were with me. You know, you were the fan. So I get it. <laughs> you shared it. And hopefully enjoyed it. I know you, growing up out here, probably in L.A., you were a Laker fan. So No, I actually grew uh, up in Pittsburgh. So I was like oh, okay. I was like that kid that, like, was a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, oh, and then, you know, okay. after after Jordan retired, I went to Kobe and then Wade. So I've settled on the Heat. Uh, the oh, heat you of my team. on the Heat? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I thank you. I went to school in Miami and I, uh, my brother played Dolph for the Dolphins for 15 years. So um, that's like my second home, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful. So thank you for all those memories. And it's great to be able to relive them. Thank you. Stay safe. You too. What up, Heller? Is that an in and out shirt? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Is that an in and out shirt? It is. I miss it so much. And their gear's kind of nice. Like, this is not a terrible... I got a white tee on, but the pocket is the cup pattern. I feel like you should... If you if you like In-N-Out, but you're not trying to eat it right now, um, you could definitely order some gear online and support them. I don't know why I'm, I'm uh, why keeping up for them like this. Able, but, why would you not be able to eat In-N-Out right now? Uh, we're actually not eating takeout in this home, Joy. We have cooked all of our meals. I have not. I am. Being, <laughs> <It's> all right. <laughs> I am supporting our right. our local restaurant economy um, with uh, not not heavily. I have cooked a lot, a lot, a lot. I've done more dishes by myself, um, like this this last seven weeks than I have probably in my entire life. Um, which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I'm, I'm usually on a meal plan. So I, I, I suspended the yeah. meal plan for this time. So I'm probably getting takeout like once or twice a week, but it's pasta. And I mean, yeah. like you can make pasta at home, but like not really, well, not if you want like good pasta, unless you're a pasta maker person, but I'm not. Um, but I have cooked a lot. I, make, I made steak last night. As good night. as they can, sure. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, cool. Well, you, yeah, you, so if you change your mind, you can still, get in and yeah. out you can still go there they're still open and they i'm sure they do a great job but the gear is nice as well that's all <laughs> um all right what's going on i'm gonna quit it um all right joy uh do you remember the singer genuine <laughs> genuine uh pony yes yep 
Um, Genuine had another song that I actually remember even more than Pony, which is called What's So Different. Oh, okay. In it, Genuine gives you some great advice on uh, great advice to ride your pony to when he says, if you cheated on him, how do I know you ain't gonna cheat on me? Hopefully, fingers crossed, Aaron Rodgers heeded Genuine's advice and knew that one day the Packers would too move on from him. Joy, Jordan Love will also sit for three years just like Rodgers had to behind Favre. Wit it or quit it. Um, Wit it, but I don't think it's a fair comparison what's going on with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. I know there's no way to look at the situation and not compare the two things because it is the Packers and Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old and they did take a quarterback in the first round. So there are a lot of uh, coincidental uh, things that would make them comparable, but the reality is they're not comparable. Here's the thing. Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's been argued to be the greatest quarterback of all time by many a pundit, okay? Brett Favre, as we know, Hall of Famer, gunslinger, all-time great. Was very unhappy with the Aaron Rodgers Legend. situation. Right. Legend. I I don't know if Jordan Love is another all-time great. It seems like a bit of a stretch. Like, they've got some special kind of luck in Green Bay to be able to draft three of yep. the all-time greatest quarterbacks into their organization. Here's the thing. I think Jordan Love was overdrafted. And regardless of whether you think that they need to get a quarterback for their future or not, they were just, just a few months ago in the NFC Championship game with a 13-3 and record. So close. That close. Now listen, a lot of people felt like they were frauds and they really weren't as good as their record. I say you are what your record says you are. I've been, I was behind the Packers all year. I thought they were better than a lot of teams thought they were. And guess what? At the end of the day, there were four teams left and Green Bay was one of them with all that talk and all of that hate. So the thing about it is, is stop messing this up for Aaron Rodgers. I understand right. if you want to get a quarterback for the future. Take his ass in the third or fourth round like a normal team. This ridiculous to spend your first round pick on Jordan Love. And I, it's nothing against Jordan Love. I have nothing against Jordan Love. I think it's a great situation for Jordan Love. But it's not a great situation for Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. They were just in the NFC Championship game. Can this dude get a receiver? Can we get homeboy a receiver? Can you please read the statistic for me, Heller? How many first round picks? How many touchdowns to a first round receiver has Aaron Rodgers thrown in his career, Heller? One, and fun fact, it's friend of the show, Mercedes Lewis. One. Uno. One. And he's technically a tight end. Right. <laughs> he's not even a receiver. Okay. Nope. So, and they definitely didn't draft him. No. They definitely didn't draft definitely him. Definitely did not draft him. Can we get him a first round receiver, please? Green Bay is, they've got like a, a secret blood pact with the NFL. They will not draft a wide receiver for him. It's ridiculous. It, it's not, it, it's nothing against Jordan Love. Great. He's going to come in, sit, learn behind Aaron Rodgers. What a great situation for a quarterback that everyone was very unsure of. What a great organization to go to. Clearly knows how to develop quarterbacks, right? But the thing about it is, you were right there. Get him a piece that can get you over the hump. Jordan Love is not going to play for three years. So essentially, you just bumped a first-round talent, right, 
for a and guy a, a that may or draft. may not develop into something three years from now. Aaron Rodgers might still be playing at a high level in three years. Who knows? And then what are you going to do? So now you have a trade piece. How does that help you now? It's it's not about anything to be outraged over. I just don't get it. I don't understand. Make me understand. And then you gave up pieces to get him. I have a I have a theory. It's not a good one though. I'll admit that right now. Uh, the Packers are all about names. Okay. They don't like wide receivers who are good. They like wide receivers who have cool names. Marquez Valdez Scantling, amazing. Geronimo Allison, incredible. You know who else has a cool name? Jordan Love. I'm just saying they're drafting based on brandability and cool names. And if you're drafting on cool names, I think Jordan Love has got to be a top five pick. It's a strong theory because it's the only thing I can think of, the only thing that's been pitched to me that makes any, any sense. As far as Aaron Rodgers goes and, you know, how he feels or what he's supposed to do, look, if you're Aaron Rodgers, it's not your responsibility to groom and mentor Jordan Love. Do you have to be a dick to him? No, but I don't think that it's- Might as well though. (laughs) I mean, I'm just not gonna, I never understood like, oh, you know, Brett Favre, he wasn't nice to Aaron Rodgers. Like, and? What does Brett Favre owe the Green Bay Packers or, or Aaron Rodgers? Like, would it be nice of him to do that? Sure, if that's your personality. But you got to be authentic, and we know what Aaron Rodgers is. Aaron Rodgers is go. not a, a warm and cuddly person. He wears sweaters and drinks scotch and is, is coy and is a smartass. And that's I'm totally fine with that because that's his personality. He's not going to mentor Jordan Love, especially when they were just in the NFC Championship game. So the year before Aaron Rodgers was drafted, the Packers were 10-6. and six. Brett Favre threw uh, 30 touchdowns, 17 interceptions. They lost in the wild card round to the Vikings. Not bad. Not bad. Not strong, right? 35 years old. Not uh, the days that we exist in now with avocado ice cream and Pilates. Mm. So pretty sensible move by the Packers to take a slipping Aaron Rodgers, who was projected to go much higher when they did. This situation where they're coming off – playing in the NFC Championship game, 13-3. and three. Aaron Rodgers still playing at a high level, just needs a couple more pieces. Yep. Um, and Aaron Rodgers don't throw interceptions for you to trade up to get Jordan Love, a project who most people felt like was being overdrafted and had a lot of questions to begin with. Just seems like uh, not a great move. We could all be wrong, and he's the next Tom Brady. I don't see it. I don't think it's smart. And I don't blame Aaron Rodgers if he comes out with an absolute burner of a documentary absolutely roasting the Packers organization when he is done there oh yeah uh I mean yeah he's gonna but I will say though even though they don't have an owner and I can't remember who their GM is right now this is this moose does smell of Krauss motivating MJ though doesn't it before we get into our next topic (laughs) I get a I get a whiff of motivation from all of this we'll see what kind of season Rodgers has I'm hoping obviously for angry chaos greatness of course that's what i like about aaron Rodgers. all right speaking of the bulls documentary we'll get there in a second what do you get when you take away one t from a liddy person a lie personality um yeah, oh, yeah i guess liddy spelled with two t's okay mm-hmm. very nice thank you for picking that up i say all that to say this Personality is the most valuable currency in sports. And Dennis Rodman, possibly with some help from Madonna, understood that. Phil Jackson understood that as well and let the worm crawl to the beat of his own drum. Joy, only Phil Jackson would have coached the Bulls to the second 3 P, with it or quit it. 
Uh, with it, 100%. Uh, we talked to BJ Armstrong on this podcast about the worm and everything that he was, and he was very clear about one thing. The worm, whatever his personality was off the court, really didn't matter to anybody who was on the court because nope. he was about his business when he was on the court. And as I always say, we're media nerds. We don't know shit. We think we do, nope. but we don't. We just have personalities, which is why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we have a, a moderate amount to high knowledge of sports and know how to yep. articulate that. But the reality is like we have our own things and agendas and stuff going on and moral compasses and things that we think are cool and are not cool. And as of late, there is a lot of, you know, rightfully so sensitivities about things. And a lot of the stuff that was going on with the Bulls and the Bulls era would just straight up not be accepted now. You're not walking out of a locker room with a Miller Lite after every game. You're not getting onto a motorcycle with an open Miller Lite with a police escort with no helmets and driving off after a game. None of these Great. things are happening. It would be Great. scorched earth out this Great. bitch. Honestly, honestly, just the amount of sweatpants, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, night sleeping pants that he wore he was wearing straight pajama bottoms mad to practice. Com mad comfies Scrimaging. all the time. So many comfies. And I feel them. I feel them on the comfies for sure. <laughs> they look so, like the material must have been so soft. Yeah. But look, like that's what it is. Uh, and a lot of the things that he does or he did, not does, but things that he did, players still do. Players still take nights off. They might not go to Vegas on a vendor for five days, but they no. might take a night off, go out, have a nice dinner, drink a bottle of wine, sleep in. Yeah. You know, they're just having back issues that night. Like it's a long season. Guys make exceptions for different situations for sure. There's still, I mean, guys show up in crazy outfits to the games these days. LeBron James walked in with a glass of wine. But it's isolated situations or it's a league-wide accepted thing that, look, we're going to be fashionable when we come in. We're not going to wear suits. So now it's not a big deal that somebody shows up in a crazy right. outfit. Oh, it's LeBron James. We know he loves wine. We know he takes care of his body at the highest level. So he's walking in with a glass of wine. And people still right. lost their minds. Oh, so yeah. it's just a different – it's a completely different world. At that time, Phil Jackson had a full understanding not only of what it was to be a player because he played – Two-time champion as a player. Right. At every level in the biggest market, he traveled the world and learned basketball literally that, internationally. That Puerto Rico footage was so great. Crazy. That might have been the highlight. He he dropped acid. He's a he's a he's a wild man. Like it's he's Zen master. He's the Zen master. And we knew what Phil Jackson was, and we we know what he is now. And look, like it kind of went off the rails with the Knicks. Like we can all admit that, but. Oof. He's still back to being the greatest, and I always thought that was a bad move for him to begin with. Don't tarnish that your legacy. That one's on the Knicks. What? That one's on the Knicks. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't even blame Phil Jackson for that, even though he was a total disaster there. The point is, he understood what all great coaches and great leaders understand. You can't treat every. You can treat everyone the same, different. Yep. Different guys need different levels of attention. You can yell at some guys. You can't yell at other guys. Like I said, can't yell at Scotty. Don't be yelling at Scotty. He's going to go in his little yep. cocoon Scotty. and disappear. You have yep. to have the self-discipline and the self-awareness and the management of your own ego to know how to relate to players and to, to relate to different personalities. And aside from that, 
the biggest takeaway that I've had from the personalities that were on this team and Phil Jackson managing them is that what I always say and I always preach and I say it at nauseum is because it's the truth. Personalities creates content. We work in the content business. So persecuting someone for being different, persecuting someone for having a different worldview, persecuting someone for being eccentric or being uh, loud or being opinionated or expressing their beliefs. Look, I don't have to agree with everything that you say. And if I don't agree with what you say, I don't yeah. gotta like you, period. We live yeah. in a very divided society. You don't have to like anything that I say. You can go watch another podcast. Like I prefer yeah. you watch ours, but this is the world that we live in. Encourage personalities. You need to encourage conversation. Conflict is different than conversation. And sometimes conversations about things that you don't understand, like for example, Dennis Rodman being a different character and you could see that he needed to be managed differently. He had mental health issue, a clear, a clear mental health issue that needed to be dealt with. That's just, you saw it in the, in the documentary talking about him being in the, in the, in his car with a gun, like he almost killed himself. There's yeah. levels to every, everything that everyone is going through. And, and I don't want to make a, a, a far stretch here, but like, this is always my issue with the media and Cam Newton. It's like, can you just let him be the personality yeah. that he is? Everybody doesn't have to be a I square. Could, I could picture Barbara, Barbara Walters sitting on the ground, leaning against the couch, trying to understand what Cam Newton's about as well. And Cam <laughs> and Newton not is nothing it. like Dennis Rodman, nothing. Nothing like Dennis Rodman whatsoever, but, but, but. And, and, and he's still, he's still criticized to that level. And listen, like, I'm not trying to make these wild swinging parallels. All I'm saying is it's an example of a big personality that the media has this like thorn in their side over rather than just enjoying what it is that he is. Everybody doesn't have to be Tom Brady. Everybody doesn't have to be Andrew Luck. You can have a little flexibility in it. And, and as we're seeing in this documentary, when you look back in time, oh, it seems like history kind of repeats itself. You know, I, I know I know I'm not supposed to say this, but Joe Namath was a bit of a personality. Mm. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Muhammad Ali had a little bit of a personality. And guess yep. what? Everybody didn't like Muhammad Ali back in the day. We love him now. That's the thing that that's the thing that people I think who uh, you know are just casual sports fans miss about personality is that if you let's say someone is watching this right now and they hate you, that's still a strong opinion. You still impact how they think about a thing. You still pop into their brain in some way, and that, my friends, is a win. That's how <laughs> we have jobs. That's how this whole thing moves along. Right. That's the game. And so hating on someone and having an opinion about it is what we're going for. And that's, and that's what we got. And personality gives us that. And Jerry Krause gave that to Jordan and the Bulls. <laughs> and Phil, he gave Phil an offensive system. Forget a personality. He gave him an offensive system. He paired him with Tex Winter and gave it all to you him. You're going to so die I, on this know, Jerry Krause. I'm yanking Krause. it back from Cam Newton to Jerry Krause. <laughs> you're going to die on this Jerry Krause. So. But aside from, that's fine. Aside from, from fans, I think fans should have an opinion and should be divisive. What I'm speaking yep. to particularly is the media and the coverage of it. Don't get so caught up in yourself and, and your yep. ideas of what greatness is that you forget that some of the greatest to ever do it. Dennis Rodman has five championship rings. Okay. With multiple. 
and the respect of all of his teammates and everyone he ever played with. Nothing else needs to be said, right? That's it. He wants to dress weird, whatever. F it. Who cares? I mean, he did a little bit more than dress weird, but that's my point. You, you, you can't, you can't tell the story of the Chicago Bulls in any capacity without nope. Dennis Rodman. He, he, he aided in that greatness, and you can't tell the story of the NBA without Dennis Rodman. So sometimes you just have to appreciate everybody isn't the same, and you can't hold everybody to the same standards. Yeah, just and, watch and, some tape. Of, watch some tape of him pulling down rebounds, looking cooler than anyone in the history of rebounding ever, and then go write about something else. <laughs> All right, what up, Donnie? What's going on, High Key, Loki? All right, High Key, the Bengals took Joe Burrow first overall. Loki, is there any chance Andy Dalton starts day one? Because he is still there in Cincinnati. <laughs> the starter day one conversation. Oh, my God, we did this so much with Baker Mayfield. Yeah, let it begin. Let it begin. Uh, yeah, he's got to start. I, it's, I'm going to stay consistent with this. It's, he's got to start. Now, he has said that he's been going over the Bengals' offense for, or it was reported that he's been going over the Bengals offense for a couple weeks now. So he's already been studying it as far as like tape and X's and O's goes. And I'm sure the second that they officially drafted him, his playbook was on the way and he's digging yep. right into that. But, you know, Zach Taylor said there is a concern about getting them out in the field and getting them reps. And how do you make up for those lost reps during this time when, you know, we're not in OTAs? and they aren't able to get on the field together. It's in normal circumstances, he's off to Cincinnati, and they're getting after it as soon as right. they can. But that's not the case right now. And there's only so much training you can do by yourself other than just staying in shape and how much studying you can do before actually applying it. Now, they're going to make do the best they can, but obviously yeah. you know, these teams that have rookie quarterbacks coming in that are planning on starting or teams that have new coaches with young quarterbacks year two, year three, are going to be up against it, as we know. But I think Burrow has to start week one, regardless of the situation. Now, I'm saying that assuming that they're going to have a normal regular season or close to a normal regular season. Um, I, think we, I think we're all agreeing that that's probably what's going to happen. Obviously, we have no idea what's going to happen, but I mean, the entire world's not going to stop. So yeah. I, I, I think they're going to end up playing and that he should start week one. I will say, though, I think everybody needs to keep an open mind about what these guys look like at the beginning of the season. And I the the schedule comes out next Thursday. So once we see what their schedule is, that's going to determine a lot of things, too. Because I think if they have a really rough schedule to start, like, Ravens, Steelers, you know, Chiefs, yeah. who knows? Like some really rough teams early beginning of the season, first four or five games of the season, then it might make sense to start Andy Dolan from Cincinnati's perspective. But to me, if you're the number one overall pick, you got to start week one. I heard a report that uh, there's looks into moving the season, the start of the season back to October as opposed to August. I feel like if that were to happen, uh, Joe Burrow would most definitely start. But if the season is starting where it is right now, there is a chance with this limited offseason that, I don't know, Andy Dalton, we could see Andy Dalton number 14 in orange and black one more time. Uh, fingers crossed that that doesn't happen, though, because I'm ready to see this new Bengals organization. Yeah, I have, like, I reserved, like, one one sixteenth of my fandom for Joe Burrow. Just for Joe yeah. Burrow, though. So, like, just the Okay, not, not the whole team. Not the whole team. Can't get invested gotcha. in Cincinnati. Just Joe Burrow. <laughs>
Word. All right. High key, the Dolphins killed the tank for two with narrative halfway through the season last year. Uh, low key, they still got to draft them. It worked out. <laughs> yeah, they hated that tank for two a thing, which, so uh, that's really what this was all about. All the whole, we're going to, you know, we don't know, we're not really sure about Tua, and maybe we like Herbert, or maybe we're going to take an offensive tackle, trying to give yeah. him a heart attack. Um, and then, you know, possibly talking about moving up and taking Detroit's third overall pick to, you know, give that to Cincinnati, which I think all these conversations were had, but the reality of it was they were pushing that so they could get away from the idea that they were tanking. But look, they were tanking. That's what it was. <laughs> and it's okay. It worked out. Yeah. But the reason why it worked it, it, out is because they have Coach Flores and they clearly not only buy into Coach Flores' culture and uh, ideology, they played hard. I always say players yeah, don't did. tank. Organizations tank, front offices tank, players don't tank. And while the Dolphins' moves may not have been an all-out, you know, NBA-style tank, they definitely got rid of a bunch of people, and they loaded up on draft picks, and that's what it is when you're starting over. But what I like is they literally started over. They were very aggressive in the offseason in free agency, signing a bunch of defensive players, which I like. They got a running back. They just got another running back in Matt, Matt Breida. They drafted a bunch of offensive linemen, and they got Tua. So this is the way that you do it. Get your guy, build the trenches, bring in a couple veteran pieces at key positions, pay them because you don't have to pay your quarterback, and your offensive line right. will mostly be cheap. It's it's brilliant. I love what they're doing. I love the Dolphins' home mentality. I liked how they played hard last year despite not being a great team. And, of course, ending uh, the Patriots' dynasty at the end of the season, which I you know very much appreciated. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I also like that they took Tua because that they were in a higher position, obviously, draft position, than the Chargers, and they went for it. Like, they took Tua. So yep. I'm, I'm going to buy in. They clearly see what they want in him. Cool. I think that that was the right choice anyway because even though I did kind of like Herbert more after seeing his performance in the bowl game, Two is more talented than Herbert. Like that's just right. that's just what it is. If you're concerned about the injuries, which I am, that's understandable. But you really kind of can't pass up on Tua because of injuries when you look at the talent disparity. Two is one at every level. Is his personality going to work in Miami? Maybe. Maybe it's a new situation with Flores. You know, it's not it's not Don Shula days. It's not Dan yeah. Marino days. I think you have to have a big spicy personality to win over that city, spend a lot of time there, but maybe we just haven't seen the full full, full scope of Tua's personality And correct me if I'm wrong, but is there a void in Miami? Uh, are they in need of star power after Dwayne Wade has left? I know Jimmy Butler is there, but I mean, it feels like there is a, a, a hole to be filled and Tua is there. Absolutely. I mean, the, the Dolphins have needed star power really, I, I think, since since my brother's days like that those were kind of the last days where there was really like an identity and there was a buzz about the dolphins and what they were capable of and what they were going to do and it's not that they don't have some stars on the team they do you know Jarvis Landry was a, was a star in Miami you know yeah. they have some pieces through throughout but it just never really felt like you know what We've got momentum. We've got some energy going here. This works. And uh, so everyone's really excited about it. I am too. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Now, the Heat are the Heat. Like, the Heat are, the heat are getting better. They're obviously in the playoffs this year. They had a great season. They have a lot of young, exciting players. But the Heat are always going to be that because Pat Riley's there and he's the godfather. But when right. it comes to football, we obviously know what UM has become, which is a disaster. 
So, yes, the Dolphins desperately needed this, this whole thing. High-key, Justin Herbert's the long-term successor to Phillip Rivers. Low-key, Tyrod Taylor's the guy for the Chargers in the short term. Yes, yes. Tyrod is the guy in the short term. I actually think Tyrod could possibly end up starting for two years. I think by he probably should, but maybe pressure from Los Angeles to get Justin Herbert out there, that could become a, a problem. But... I definitely think that he's going to be the starter for the entirety of this season, as he should. Yeah. Justin Herbert is still really raw. He was probably overvalued in this draft, but you know there was just a lot of teams that needed that a quarterback. So mm-hmm. you know, I I think he's in a great position to learn behind Tyrod. I think Tua would have been in a great position as well. He's a he's a great pro, and he deserves an opportunity to show that he's a franchise quarterback. Obviously, we know what he did in Buffalo. Had a bad break in. Cleveland, as most quarterbacks do in Cleveland. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> and then they drafted Baker. And now he's in a similar situation um, with the Chargers. But the difference is the Chargers have are a well-run organization. They're a well-coached organization. Yeah. Anthony Lynn very much believes in Tyrod, as he should. And uh, I think this is, this is perfect. Let him sit for a year, maybe two. There's really no rush. Obviously, you know, you want to sell tickets and you want to sell, you know, um, PSLs, and I get that, but you also want to make sure that you are putting Justin Herbert in the best situation for success, and that is to sit for a year, maybe two, behind a great pro in Tyrod, build up your team, build up your young core, get him ready, and then, you know, when he's ready, put him out there and give him the team. I don't like halfway wishy-washy stuff. It's yeah. got to be either Tyrod's team or, you know what, Tyrod's going to get him ready, or, you know, the competition's going to be going on during training camp, and who knows what goes on during training camp. Like, Justin could look terrible or mm-hmm. he could look amazing. And then that starts to put pressure on them to, to start him right away. I think it will go as this is Tyrod's team for this year. You're going to sit, we're going to, you know, help you develop into what you need to be to be yep. in the NFL and then put you out there when the time's appropriate. You know how I feel about non-decision stuff. I can't have it. Can't have it. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> All right. Uh, high key after the team drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round, Eagles fans are like, what? Low-key, relax. This pick could end up being genius, you guys. <laughs> Just chill. Take a breather. <laughs> That's what Packers fans should be doing. That's the reaction <laughs> Packers fans should have. That would that be appropriate. Look, yeah. Eagles fans, listen, I got a lot of love for Philly, but Eagles fans hate everything. They hate every yes. idea. They love being upset. They, they love good. to be upset. They love it. And what, what for? You know, you live in a great city of Philadelphia. You got, got awesome food. Yeah, awesome cheesesteaks. You know what I mean? You got a, you got a cool word to use for everything. Everything's a John. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nobody else yeah. knows what that means. Okay, unless you unless you've been around <laughs> someone from Philly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. It's a whole thing. What what do you got to be upset about? Now listen. That said, I was shocked. I was very surprised when I saw them take Jalen Hurts, but. You know, Carson Wentz is not known for being super available. And you want to have a guy there who you don't have to pay a lot of money, who's not going to necessarily challenge for the starting spot, who can develop into being a really strong backup. There was a lot of talk about how far Jalen Hurts was going to slip in this draft. I like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, to me, is a winner. He put up great numbers, obviously, at Oklahoma. We know he did at Alabama. Okay, so he got beat out by Tua. Tua is great. So... There's no shame in that. 
this is a great situation for Jalen Hurts. I think that it's a great situation for Philly as well. And mm-hmm. this whole idea, like it's too high or whatever, like the Aaron Rodgers Jordan Love situation, too high, too high. It's too much. <laughs> you have Aaron yeah. Rodgers, but Carson Wentz is hurt a lot, a whole lot, a whole lot. Okay, you yeah. already paid him, so you don't want to bring in another backup quarterback and then have another Nick Foles situation. Like, who are you right. going to bring in? You, you need to have a, a backup quarterback that can go in and actually perform because you don't know how reliable he can be. I think it's mm-hmm. a great situation for both both sides. I don't I don't know what the panic is about. I'm looking forward to see what they do. I, I've heard that they're going to be probably working him into the offense like in a Taysom Hill kind of a way. And that should be exciting from an Eagles fan standpoint as well. You guys are going to have a different dynamic in your offense coming up. And like you said, Carson Wentz has a tendency to get hurt at the worst of times. The worst. So, I mean, this is good. This is a good thing. This is good. Chill. Everybody relax. <laughs> Everyone chill. <laughs> All right. It's T. It's time for the culture report. Hi, T. How's quarantine going? Going good. Still working from home and... Trying to stay busy, working out, eating healthy, and good for you. Healthy. I am not working out or eating healthy. That's um, kind of, I actually decided today because um, I had cereal for breakfast and pasta for lunch that like today is my last day. Today is my last day. <laughs> I am going to get in quarantine shape today. I'm like I've been kind of good. Like I'll run throughout the week, like run a couple miles. But I need to like mm-hmm. a, a workout routine. Like, there's too many hours in a day. I need to like. I gotta get <laughs> it's bad. It's just too easy to order pasta. I'm like, oh. it it definitely is. I feel like I had to like I had to like get in routine. Like waking up and working out before I do anything else. Because the minute I try, try to do something else, the day just gets away from me. Exactly. So, so what's going on in the culture report this week? Okay, so the trailer just dropped for Michelle Obama's documentary called Becoming. Super excited about that. This will share stories of people she met after the release of her memoir. So she did state that during this difficult time, she wanted to release this to send inspiration and joy to the world. So it comes out on Netflix May 6th. I am so excited for this. I read the book. I had to bring it out. (laughs) Girl, you know... I'm so excited. Oh, you stay ready. You ain't got to get ready. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. So, Joe, I can't wait to see how this translates on film. I'm really, really excited about it. Like I said, what about you? Oh, my God. I can't wait. Um, You know, Michelle Obama is a personal hero of mine. I'm sure of yours as well. Um, We truly, we truly miss the Obamas, I think, more and more every day, Uh, especially now. (laughs) with everything that's going on um not to get political but i think everyone knows where i stand on that anyway but um yeah i'm really looking forward to this it's it's definitely gonna be super inspirational so i can't wait for that and what a great time for it to be released also exactly i I agree like the one of the reasons why i love her is because she's just one of the most influential women in the world and i just admire her like she's smart she demands a presence she's humble intelligent charismatic and she's beautiful so i cannot wait i got my alarm set (laughs) I don't like calendar. <laughs> um, what else is going on? All right, so I'm actually here for all these documentaries. Here's another one I'm excited about. Um, Santonia Brown, Murder to Miss uh, Murder to Mercy story will premiere on Netflix Wednesday, April 29th. And most are familiar with her because Kim Kardashian advocated to get her out of prison and it worked. So this will shed light on her story. At just 16, she was a sex trafficking victim who shot and killed a man during an encounter where she feared for her life and was sentenced to life in prison. 
She was released after serving 15 years, but Joy, apparently she did not authorize this documentary. And I find it interesting that people can release a documentary about someone else's life without their approval. What about you? Hmm. Um, well, that, I don't know. That gives me mixed feelings about how, how I feel about watching it then, if she didn't mm-hmm. authorize it. Because I do know her story, and mm-hmm. it's a horrible story, and it's obviously a reflection of how uh, not only are sexual abuse victims treated in our justice system, but, uh, you know, obviously disparity against minorities as well. But this is um, this is interesting. So I don't know how I feel about uh, watching and consuming it if she didn't authorize it. Now, you can do a documentary about anyone. I mean, there's documentaries about presidents and documentaries right. about famous people that don't necessarily have to be authorized in order to do them. Now, certain footage that they may have, you might not get access to because it's not they don't have final say over what it is. But if you're a public figure, I'm pretty pretty sure people can just do documentaries about you. Um, but because right. of her story, if she hasn't authorized it, then I, don't, I, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know either, but and I can see that, but I'm, I'm still gonna watch it. <laughs> well, you let me know how it is. Um, what, I will. <laughs> what else is going on? Okay, so a couple shows I've been watching, well, actually just one this week. I finished Little Fires Everywhere. It's based on this novel by Celeste Inc. Have you heard of it? I have. Um... Uh, why is my brain not working? Carrie Washington's in it, right? And Reese Witherspoon? Yeah, and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. yeah. So it's about two families living in the 90s who are brought together through their children. Can I tell you the acting was, well, the, sh- the acting in the show was brilliant. The casting was intentional. Tiffany Boone, she plays the young Carrie Washington on the show. And she embodied her to the T, to the lip quiver, to the crying, the emotions, all of that. This was literally one of my favorite shows in a while. I know I said that a lot, that a lot of shows are my favorite, but this one's really my favorite on Hulu. And um, it, it's led by a majority female producing team. So I was really excited about that. And the way it ended, I don't think we're gonna get. I think we're. I don't think we're gonna get the season two, but I'm definitely hopeful. But based off the book, there wasn't a season two, so it ends like leaving you wanting more. So it's so like a, sure it's a mini series, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it looked very interesting. I saw that Carrie Washington and, and Reese Witherspoon, and I've seen like billboards and stuff around town for it. Um, I watched Extraction. <gasps> with Me too. Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. So I thought it was great. It was like yeah. really entertaining. He's obviously, you know, Chris Hemsworth, so not bad to right. look at. And the storyline is really good. I liked it. I did too. I mean, I only watched it because Chris Hemsworth is in it. And it's such a great movie. There's so much action. Oh, there's a lot of action, but a good so, storyline through the action though. It's it's not, um, it's like a baby man on fire and i say that delicately because i love man on fire but it has a little bit of like you know some man on fire themes to it just he's not denzel and you know the kid is not dakota fanning (laughs) so but this and the cinematography is not the same obviously either but it is really it's really fun to watch it's like a, a fun light snack version of man on fire being like steak potatoes from (laughs) uh like houston's or something you know like or i don't know del frisco's like a a, a really fancy steak restaurants craig's whatever 
And then like that, that's like the junior light version <laughs> yeah. of Man on Fire. But it's fun though. It's good. If you haven't, like, if you haven't seen Man on Fire, don't, don't expect it to be Man on Fire is all I'm saying. Yeah. It's different, but I understand like how similar it is. And I mean, honestly, between Denzel Washington and Chris Hemsworth, I mean, both of them are great to look at. So I don't mind it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying like the storyline, cinematography and the acting in Man on Fire is, uh, up, is a, a step up. Right. Considerably. Oh yeah. But similar yeah. things. Well, thanks so much, T. Hope uh, you're doing well. I'm gonna get on your. I'm gonna get on your routine. I'm start working out. <laughs> you know, I did, out dance, I did a YouTube dance class the other day. I look. I looked insane, but it like it got my heart going rate going a little bit. So maybe I need to mix in a couple of those throughout the week. And you can even send me that. I'm down. Okay. I need to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll compare ridiculous videos. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, stay safe. You too. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate you stopping by. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Just click the subscribe button. Check us out on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod. And you can listen on any podcast app that you use, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia app, SoundCloud, and Spotify. We appreciate you. Hope you're staying safe. Hope that you're well. And we'll catch you again next week. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. Oh.